stand in your presence today and we declare that you are a great God we thank you that you are the only true God we thank you that you are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings there is none like unto you father Lord you are the creator of the heavens and the earth there is nothing that is too strong for you there is nothing that you cannot do father we thank you and we lift your name high Lord in this place Lord we thank you father that your power is sufficient for us it is sufficient to give us forgiveness of sin it is sufficient to transform us from old creation beings into new creation beings it is sufficient to bring us into your kingdom into the kingdom of heaven it is sufficient to raise the dead father we thank you lord jesus that today you'd begin to transform our minds concerning your power concerning the capacity that you have to do awesome things lord we remember how you parted the red sea so that the israelites could walk through that was a small thing for you to do we remember how father you poured out water in a dry valley father to sustain an army and it was a small thing for you to do we thank you that all you had to do was speak and the earths and the heavens came into existence we thank you that all you had to do was open your mouth and proclaim and things began to change in the whole of creation and in our personal lives as well lord jesus we come and we recognize right now that you are seated at the right hand of the father that every power every principality everything that right raises itself up to be exalted has been placed under your feet because you have all power you have all authority you your name is the name which is above every other name so lord we ask you by your spirit to be here today transform our hearts transform our minds that we would meet with you and that we would leave this place with a certain hope in the resurrection and in your power to work in our lives lord in Jesus name we pray amen amen let's give the Lord a big praise why don't you take your seats today I hope you're ready for another roller coaster ride I feel I'm in the mood for one of those kind of gospel of Jesus Christ change the city type of messages so we're gonna jump in and we're gonna go for it I hope you're with me I will try and repeat my verses as uh, much as possible so you can take notes but we are gonna hear the Word of God today Easter time is a time when we celebrate not the death of resurrection uh, death of Jesus Christ alone but his resurrection as well every single religion has a founder whose grave you can go to except for Christianity because we all know that the grave of Jesus Christ is empty for a very specific reason not because the body was stolen not because he never died and was not therefore buried there but because he died and rose again by the power of God and so I'm gonna to talk to you out of Scripture I'm gonna to explain to you the gospel from Scripture so let's take that as a first premise there will be some arguments that I offer you but I'm not really here to argue I'm here to share with you about the gospel of Jesus Christ the historical fact that Jesus died and Jesus rose again the question is not whether it happened the question is what are you gonna do about it the question is how is it gonna transform your life you see some people have a mindset that God cannot do certain things if you're gonna come and question God You've got to do so with a knowledge of who he is, not without knowledge of who he is. To challenge God's existence with a simple statement, you can't see him, so how can you know him? Or the idea that scientific evidence is sufficient to disprove God is as ignorant as those religious ones who are critiqued for having a weak mind and following faith blindly. There are both factual evidences and steps of faith that we can take. 
Let us not be ignorant to take glib statements and use them to blanket across the whole. Of, you can't deny God by a simple statement such as that. I can't see him, therefore he's not real. The evidence of God is all around us in creation. It is all around us in what he does in creation and personally in your life. We're going to hear from someone shortly on the transformation power that God can bring into a life. Both of those ignorant mentalities are doomed to failure. Because they don't know how to approach God. We approach God, firstly, based upon his self-revelation throughout history and by faith. I want to believe with you today that you will encounter God in a new way. Are you expecting to encounter God in a new way today? I'm expecting for you. Because I also believe that God reveals himself. Often Christians give a silly answer. The ways of God are mysterious. Sometimes we don't get the answers to the questions that we ask. But that does not mean that God cannot be known. God has revealed himself over thousands of years, through thousands of years of historical documentation here in scripture, as well as other writings right across history. God has revealed himself so that we know the facts of the faith which we are putting our trust in, but also through the personal revelation on a daily basis. So you have historical fact alongside personal experiential revelation that can show you who God is. Maybe God moves in your life through miracle. Maybe he speaks to you. Maybe you open the Bible and something powerful begins to come alive in your heart. It brings you to a place of relationship with God. And the two things that I want to challenge today are these two things that people are most incredulous about when it comes to God. They're most surprised about. First they say, can God really create the heavens and the earth? The entirety of the universe. And secondly, can God raise the dead? Can God raise Jesus? What? You really think God did all that? I 100% believe it. I hope you 100% believe it. Because it's the foundation of your faith. So I'm reading to you from Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And all of the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Isaiah 40 verse 12 says this. Who measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Measured heaven with a span and calculated the, earth of the, dust, the dust of the earth in a measure. Weighed the mountains in scales and hills in a balance. There's only one who could do that. God. Now I could have shown you a great video at this point in time. but Because um, we're going to go cosmological on you today. But I hope that you find me more entertaining than some of the scientists you see on TV. So we're going to look at the universe. The universe can be dis defined as everything that exists. And can even be expanded to include everything that has existed and everything that will exist. And it's interesting because, because of the size of the universe and the limitations of the speed of light, things we are seeing now here on earth are things that could have happened billions of years ago. Stars being born, stars dying, galaxies colliding with one another, all kinds of mind-bending phenomena. Now we're not going to go into the question of seven days of creation and I'm just giving to you scientific data at the moment, okay? And the light which is emitted from each one of these stars becomes evidence for scientists today. Why? Because they light 
that they see is a record of the existence of a star or some such object in the universe. It may well be dead at this specific point in time, but at the point in time when that light was emitted, it was alive. So the scientist uses the tools of observation pertinent to their field. They have the Hubble telescope, they have many satellites, they have other Earth-based telescopes, they have all kinds of systems set up to record light and the things that are happening in the sky. They take that evidence, they record it, and they use it to prove the existence of a specific star, celestial object, at a specific point in time. Now that's a bit technical, but simply put, they use evidence to prove the existence of something. I want you to remember that. So here behind us, we have some of the amazing things that are out there that God has created. We have our own Milky Way, or an illustration of what the Milky Way would look like. This is Andromeda, one of the famous galaxies. They, we lo oh, they got the sombrero back. Look at that galaxy. Awesome. And then they've got the zoo of galaxies. This is a, just a spectrum of galaxies. There's going to be photos going on in my background and behind me, so to just be amazed at the creation of God. But let me quote something to you. There are estimated that there are 125 billion galaxies in this viewable universe. Do you know how many that means per person on the Earth? 18 galaxies for you. These amazing things that you're seeing there, 18 of them just in relation to you. It's amazing. It's profound. And that's conservative. You know, they just ran a computer simulation a couple of weeks ago where they estimated that it could be as many as 500 billion. 125 billion is conservative. Each one of these galaxies has between 10 million and 1 trillion stars in each one. Our own Milky Way has between 200 and 400 billion stars. And USA Today, um, in December 2010, reported that they believe there are 300 sextillion stars in the known universe. Let me explain that to you. That is a three with 23 zeros. 23 zeros. Stars. Psalm 147 verse 4. He counts the number of the stars and he calls them all by name. We name some stars, and we categorize the rest according to the color of light which they emit. They are numbered, but we don't have enough numbers to name and number all of the stars that we know or can see in the universe. And it's interesting that they only count stars, because outside of this solar system, it's really difficult for a scientist to see a planet. The reason for that is a star emits light, whereas a planet reflects light. And so if it is far enough away, it's very difficult to pick up the reflection of the light from that planet. So all scientists do is, ca is count the number of stars they see. And the reason that they can begin to estimate that there are planets around those stars is this. They watch a star. Imagine a star is here, and they're watching that star. Imagine there's a planet orbiting around it. The effect of this planet orbiting will cause the light to move that way and then this way, following slightly the movement of the planet around. The reason is the gravity between the two. And so it deviates off its course slightly. So they watch a star for a number of months and are able to calculate, therefore, there is a planet surrounding that star, orbiting around that star. It's all by calculation. They have not seen these planets, but they can see the effect of the planet upon the stars which they are looking at. And do you know what that has led them to say? 
that in the Milky Way alone, there are tens of billions of inhabitable planets. Tens of billions. That announcement was made just five days ago. These are planets that are in the Goldilocks zone. Not too hot, not too cold. What that means is that water can survive on the planet. And if water can survive on the planet, life could potentially be sustained. Now, I'm just putting these before us to get a concept of the power of God that has been revealed in creation. So if we think that there are three sexti- 300 sextillion stars in the known universe, there is another at least 10, another zero on that of planets in the universe. If our own star has eight planets, a number of dwarf planets surrounding that, each with their own moons, just think about the vastness of creation. And that's not just a big space. We can't even conceive of the space of, cre- of creation. But it is also an expression of power. If the God who created the universe is real, he is incredibly powerful. Lift your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Isaiah 40 and verse 26. To my mind, science is something that has opened a doorway for all of us to see the amazing creation of God. Science and God should never be considered to be opposing forces. Rather, science serves to demonstrate the marvelous complexity of the created universe in which we live. And I'm not saying that just as a preacher. I'm saying that as a chemistry graduate. So I have studied all of these things in the past. We could have looked at other things. We could have looked at cells. We could have looked at the animal life. We could have looked at plant life. We could have looked at the complexity of the food systems and the life systems that we have in this world alone and we're still discovering more about. But all of it serves to point to the orderly, directive, exact creator of the heavens and of the earth. And that same creator of the heavens and the earth is the one who has breathed life into each and every single one of us. And it's the one who is partaking in our lives on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. The power of God that is used to create all of the universe is turned and directed towards each one of us. Now, if this power is available out there, there's one number that I didn't quote. There's 18 galaxies per person. There's 83 trillion stars per person. You know, you're a star trillionaire. But you see, that God, the God who created the heavens and who created the earth, it's important to remember that when we approach him, we must do so with the correct understanding, that he's the one who knows what he's talking about. If he can do all of that and hold the universe together so that not one is missing, then he knows exactly what he's doing. He's worthy of awe, of worship, and of praise. Now, when Scripture says, fear God, that is what it means. It, don't means, it doesn't mean be afraid of God. It means recognize who you're talking to. You're talking to God. He says to Job, can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? 
Can you bring out Maseroth in its season? Or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? Do you know the ordinances of heaven? Can you set their dominion over the earth? See, God alone can mess with the stars and with the sky. We can but watch in awe. And yet he chooses to visit us. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him? God turns his attention towards you. The God who knows the stars by name knows your name. But much more than just knowing your name, he knows the hair on your head. He knows the white ones. He knows the black ones. He knows the blonde ones. He knows the dyed ones. He knows the red ones. He knows the white ones, the gray ones, and the shaved ones. He knows all of the hairs on your head. But much more than that, he wants his power to be operating in your life. The power that's demonstrated in the universe or demonstrated in the signs and wonders that you'll see on a regular basis have a specific intent to point you towards your Father who is in heaven. Why? Because he wants you to have an ongoing relationship with him and also wants you to experience a demonstration of his power and his love in your life on a daily basis. When he shows up, though he's so awesome and so wonderful that we should fear him, the first thing that he often says is this, do not be afraid. So I'm not here today to tell you be afraid of God. I'm telling you respect God for who he is. But when he shows up, there's no need for you to be afraid. Thank you, Colleen. The same God in, this, in verse, uh, Psalm 147, verse 3, the same God who said he counts the number of the stars, he calls them all by name. That same verse, it says this, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his mercy. What happens when God begins to turn his power to work in a human life? If God can do all of that in the universe and he turns it to a human life or to a human body who he first gave life to, can he not do something miraculous in their body? If they have sickness, can he not remove sickness? If they are oppressed, can he not remove oppression? If they die, can he not raise them from the dead? Now this is the point that I really want to drive towards with the rest of this message today. The resurrection power of God. God can do anything that he wants to do, including raising the dead. And you know it's easier to raise the dead than it is to heal someone. Let me tell you why. Because you only have one brain to deal with. One set of arguments. One person's not arguing with you. Because they can't. So all you have to do is reason through yourself, believe God, step out in faith, and go for it. But if you're praying for the sick, oh, do you have faith Jesus is going to heal you? I also need to have faith that he's going to heal you. But we're going to pray together right now, and you're messing with two realms of faith there. You know what I'm saying? But with the dead, we believe God. And it's just one of us that needs to believe God. Anyway, that's just messing around. But... Um, when God turns his power to work in someone's life, he can transform their life. And we're going to hear from someone today. Some of you have heard from her last week, but God has really done an amazing work in her life. So let's welcome Cher as she comes to share her testimony today. How are you today, Cher? Are you well? Um, good, thank you. Do you want to just tell everyone quickly where you're from, what you're doing here in London, and then get into your story? Sure. Um, so... 
Hi, my name is Shia. I'm from um, the Tri-Nations, would be the best way to say it. I was born in South Africa, moved to New Zealand when I was 16. My parents moved on to Australia, spent some time there. Um, so it's probably helpful me explaining that because my story could geographically get confusing. <laughs> and I've been in London now for five years and at KT for almost a year. Excellent. And so you've had um, a bit of experience with church back in South Africa. Why do you start there and then, as you're comfortable, go on from there? Sure. Um, so I was uh, raised in a Christian home, in a very loving Christian home, um, and always believed in God, um, though I went to this church, to a church in South Africa, which was extremely strict and religious, and you had to stand when you had to stand, sit when you need to sit, and say your oath of faith every Sunday, and going your merry way. And um, it was it was quite judgmental, and I think in that I felt through that felt that um, I was never really good enough for the Almighty God. Um, that has created everything that Gabriel just talked about. And I just felt, um, no matter how hard I tried, I kept falling back into sin. And all I was ever doing is repenting for sin that I kept doing again. And, and I was never good enough. Um, okay. and then, so then you had um, quite a challenging experience in life. Yes, I did. Um, in 2004, I was, I was 22 and I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Um, at the time they diagnosed me, uh, it had gone misdiagnosed for a year and a half, um, and so it was quite late in the day, and the, and the cancer in the last week prior to my diagnosis had grown two centimetres in diameter, and at this point it was the size of a really large orange. Um, and I still remember being diagnosed that day, sitting there, and the doctor was... I was thinking about everything else, as you do, about life, work, everything else. The next moment, switch back, and this doctor was saying words like cancer, and um, they believe it had spread probably by my symptoms to my liver and potentially to my kidneys and lungs at that stage, um, and that this was going to be a big battle, and that he needed to know that... I was grasping what he was telling me and that I had the support because this is going to be a big war against cancer. And um, I went home that day and it was one of those times that I was just, just realised this, I can't do, I actually can't do this. So I went on my knees and I just said to God, this, I need you to take over because this one I can't do and I know you're almighty and I know I'm absolutely worthless and I'm not good enough, but this I need you to do. And um, so they needed to get me into hospital as soon as possible because of the rapid, rapid growth. So by the Monday, um, I was in hospital to have the test done to see. They just wanted to determine the exact extent for, of the spreading. Um, hold out testing. Um, but that weekend, and that weekend was a very, very important time for me because um, my mum is an amazing woman of God and her church was praying for me and her soul was praying for me. And I'd gone to a lady with the gift of healing and I was, we were engaged in an hour of passionate prayer. And it was, it was just such a powerful experience. Um, then on the, uh, my mum on a flight as well, on the way over to, to come visit me in hospital, she was, so she was flying over from Australia. She had a dream and 
she dreamed, it was probably like she said, the first time she slept all weekend. And she dreamed that she saw these two hands over my pelvis. And she saw a light come out of my pelvis. And the hands just moved it away. Sorry, I get emotional when I talk about this. The hands just moved it away, and it just went away. And so she arrived, um, she arrived at hospital on the Monday with so much peace in her heart. I felt so much peace. I just woke up that morning going to hospital going, God's got this. This is going to be okay. God's got this. And so I went for test that day, and they, the test results came back, and the doctor sat me down and said, listen, I think I've got some really good news um, to start off with. I think we've won the first battle. We can't see any spreading. There's no spreading, no, nothing in your liver, nothing in your kidneys, nothing in your lungs. What we are seeing, though, so I don't want you to get too excited, what we are seeing is spreading throughout your pelvis. So we're going to do what we need to do, remove what we need to remove, um, and then there's going to be some aggressive chemo you're going to have to go through. And at that point, I just said to him, listen, I'm going to live. It was like God, God was just there and he just said to me, listen, this is going to be fine. So I said to the doctor, I'm going to live. Just don't do anything too drastic. Because my concern was that they weren't believing what I was feeling. Um, so my mum arrived at hospital. We were all joyful and happy. And everyone's looking at us like we're insane and give us these looks of pity. And looked at my mum like she had a dying child. And, and <laughs> we're joking. And I'm sure they, at that point, just kept thinking we were in denial. Um, so next day was my operation. Um, and after the operation, the doctors came in, and they were the leading fertility expert in New Zealand, and a very, very reputable um, oncologist specialist, and they came in baffled. And I don't think you could ever see a doctor confused, like a doctor would ever admit they're confused. They, they try and talk around it, but it basically went along the lines of, um, so yeah, so I mean, you never really know until you open somebody up. Like, MRIs aren't conclusive. <laughs> um, the, ca the cancer was perfectly contained within the, the ovary wall, so we've only removed your right ovary and fallopian tube. Um, praise God. Um, and we couldn't see any visible spreading, um, but but we took some samples just in case, and we'll probably just give you lots of chemo in any case because, yeah, we're not, yeah, but that's the right thing to do. Wow. <laughs> so, so did they decide that you were, were healed or like they'd done everything they needed to do? They, at that point, felt that they'd done everything that they needed to do and now the chemo is going to come. Now the other thing is the chemo is going to be six months of aggressive chemo, of which I would probably spend at least three, months, uh, three weeks a month in a hospital just so they could um, monitor your vital organs. Um, a month later, once my wounds had healed, I went and saw the oncologist, turned up with my friend again. The oncologist said to my friend, I'm really concerned. Like, has she actually started to deal with this? <laughs> She's far too happy. <laughs> Um, and I was just thinking, it's nothing to deal with. God's got this. He's got this. Um, and he and, oh, and and at that time, literally within that week, there'd been breakthrough uh, 
research that if you don't have visible spreading, um, they can they don't need to give you chemo and they just need to closely monitor you and then if the, if the cancer does, if there are any cancer markers that come back, they can give you chemo then and the results are just as effective. Um, so, so not only did you not have spreading cancer, but they were able to, it was contained within one place, they were able to fully remove it and you didn't have to have chemotherapy. And I didn't have chemo. And it was all because of prayer. All because of prayer. All because That's of prayer. awesome. <laughs> Now, that's an amazing, amazing testimony. Now, just, um, it didn't help you with your relationship with God? I would love to say it did, but it didn't. Um, I, afterwards, when God was there for me and I didn't need him anymore and things were going well again, I just fell back. And I think at that point, on top of not feeling good enough, I now felt indebted to God. I owed God for healing me, and he's so almighty, and I just can't measure up to that, and I just keep failing. I keep failing, so I just keep falling back. And so what's changed for you? Because you're in church now, you're giving a testimony, you got baptized last week. What happened? So, yeah, so last year I started coming to KT, and I think I just... Um, I started to learn more about the love of God, and there was this particular moment for me when I was reading a section in the Living Free Guide um, on, it was 1 John 3, verse 1 to 3, and I sat there for, literally for an hour, looking at these verses, and, and the light went up. It, was just, it took me so many years, but the light went up, and I was just like, oh my goodness, the almighty God loves me so much that he made me his child. And it's because he loves me that he healed me. And because of this love that he has for me and because of, of everything he has done for me out of this love, that I want to live a pure life, but I can't do it alone. And that I need to walk in relationship with him in order to cast the sin out of my life. Because that's what, how I got it wrong. I tried to do it myself and felt like I needed to earn God's love. And once I earned it, mm. then we could start walking in a relationship. But I totally missed the point. And are you afraid of God now? I'm not afraid of God. <laughs> I, I think that the biggest thing for me is seeing God as my father. A father that just loves me so much. And when I fall and when I get hurt and when I do something wrong, his heart breaks and that was, I think that was my, my breakthrough, and I just thank God for that. Amen. Thank you so much, Chad. That was powerful. <clears throat> the same power that conquered the grave. It's the same power that is available to work in you today. God wants you to know the exceeding greatness of his power towards you who believe. The same power that worked in Christ to raise him from the dead. The same power that can work in a body to heal, share. The same power that can work in your body to heal you. The same power that can work in your situation to transform your situation is available. But understand that that power sits in the context of love. You cannot experience the fullness of the kingdom of God except that you know that he loves you. The power of the kingdom, the authority of the kingdom is rooted and grounded in the love of God. Ephesians 4, if you want to read about that, when Paul begins to pray that we will come to know the height, the width, the breadth, the depth of God's love for us. God loves you so much that he wants his power to be available to move in your life personally. Amen? Now we're turning to resurrection. Let's look towards resurrection. Lazarus is a story we all know very well. It's in John 11, verse 11. Now that is one brother that Jesus loved. Everybody knew that Jesus loved Lazarus. 
He was somebody that was a close friend, a dear friend that he appreciated. He knew his sisters. He hung out with the family. He spent time with them. They invited him around for dinner, and yet Lazarus died. But Jesus, the power and the love of God, was available to work through him to raise Lazarus from the dead. And so Jesus came on the news four days later. He waited a bit of a time. Now, it's important that we remember that. It's not that Lazarus died and two minutes later Jesus was there raising him from the dead. Lazarus died, was in the grave for four days, and then he was raised from the dead. That's dead. That's real dead. That's stinky dead. And Jesus comes, and Jesus weeps. He knows he's going to be raised from the dead, but he weeps for his friend whom he loved. And the power of God was released as he cries out, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus. They roll back the stone. Out comes Lazarus, raised from the dead. But he was raised to life in the same body. He probably looked down and thought, phew, I'm back again. But when he had time to think about it, probably thought, dang it, I'm going to hate dying again. See, the resurrection that Lazarus experienced was the resurrection back into his physical body, the same body that he'd had, minus the death symptoms, of course. The power of God is able to raise a dead body to life. There's just a report that's going around on the internet right now of a little baby boy who was raised from the dead in New Zealand. God can move powerfully in your life to raise somebody who's not died in the plan of God back to life. Because of what Jesus has done. And that's an important question. I just want to ask this question because I know maybe some of you are asking it. Why do we still need to die if Jesus has died for the restoration of all creation? You ever ask that question? Why can't we just go to be in heaven right now? Why do we need to die? There's a reason. This body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, this powerful thing that we were looking at before, the universe, God who created that, if you were to stand in his presence as this, you would go. You would vaporize. You would not exist any longer. We die so that we might put off this body, so that we might take on the eternal body that is available in Christ. See, there's a difference between Lazarus' resurrection and Jesus' resurrection. Jesus was raised into an eternal body, a body that could stand in the presence of God, a body that could receive the presence of God, a body that is eternal, that will never die, that will never experience corruption. Lazarus experienced a resurrection back into the body which he had previously occupied. Jesus experienced a resurrection into the body that was prepared for eternity. So if we ask a question, how do we know there's an afterlife? We can't turn to Lazarus. Because Lazarus, his story doesn't talk about an afterlife. It just says that he came back out and they released him and they let him go. But we can turn to Jesus. Because Jesus is the first fruits of the life which is to come. The life of the Spirit, the life in the kingdom of God. If Jesus is alive and resurrected today and seated at the right hand of the Father, which we know to be true, then that is the assurance that we all have that there is an afterlife for us to enter into. Do you believe that Jesus is alive today? Yes, Are you sure? Yes. Some of you sure? Some of you don't seem too sure. How do we know that Jesus is alive? We're going to look into that now.
In Luke 24, verse 1 to 8, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how you spoke to, he spoke to you when you were still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words. These two angels were there to witness to the resurrection of Jesus, but there is much more evidence concerning the resurrection of Jesus. Remember the, the statement I used before, scientists using the tools of observation, being able to look at the lights emitted by a star, are able to give evidence of the existence of that star. There is a light that has shone through all, uh, through all eternity, but specifically for humanity in the last 2,000 years, the light of the resurrection, death and resurrection of Christ. Now, it is an accepted principle that historical documents are a means by which we can know that which has gone before. People see things, they write it down, it becomes history for us. That's how we know that history happened. It's only recently that we have computers and telescopes and all of that kind of thing. Up until that point in time, historical documentation was the basis on which we established fact. If that is true, then 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 to 8 states that from within weeks of Jesus' resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus became a central belief in Christianity. The books of the Bible are written by eyewitnesses, written at an appropriate time to Jesus' life. They're written, with, written within, his, within the lifetime of those that saw his life and death. Some people say that Jesus never died, that he swooned on the cross. They made sure that he died by inserting a spear into his side. Blood and water came pouring out. They then took him down off of the cross and they wrapped him on 100 pounds of spices. Imagine a 100 pounds person coming to lie on you when you're be punished as much as Jesus has been punished. So if he did not die on the cross, just the weight of the hundred pounds of herbs and spices would kill him. But they already made sure that he was dead. Then they seal him in an airless tomb for three days. The whole time his mother is the one who has been there. His mother was there watching him die. His mother was there putting the herbs on him. His mother was there when they buried him in the grave. His own mother would not have done that if it was not her son. That Jesus died. That same mother went back to the tomb three days later. They found the tomb empty. Oh, well, these 500 people that you read of in 1 Corinthians 15, they made up the story. They were mass hallucinating. I don't know if you've ever been clubbing. I don't do drugs, never done drugs, but people who go clubbing, they tell you one side of the story. Someone else tells you a different side of the story. Someone else tells you another story. By the end of the night, just five people, five different nights. How do 500 people mass hallucinate that they saw Jesus Christ and explain exactly what they saw? That's not a sufficient argument against seeing Jesus alive. But the most important two are these, the transformation of the lives of the disciples. These disciples had gone back to fishing. They'd given up. Jesus was dead. They were hopeless. They were like, our master's dead. This is game over. And yet suddenly you find them preaching and seeing thousands of people responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just the transformation of their life alone is considered sufficient evidence in theology that they saw Jesus raised from the dead. So we have the testimony of hundreds of people, 500 at least, 
seeing Jesus raised from the dead after his mother and his most faithful disciples saw him dead and buried. The evidence is before us. What do we do about it? Why did he die anyway? What was the point? The accomplishments of Jesus' death are this, that he identified the deepest longings and pains of the human heart and experience. Fear, anxiety, being lost, being desperate, being angry, not knowing your father. He identified all of those things as being rooted in sin, and he forgave your sin by his substitutionary sacrifice on your behalf upon the cross. In his death, the love of God broke through the cross. The love of God came streaming out towards you to bring you into a relationship with the Father. And right across eternity, that light has been shining to demonstrate to you the love of God for your life. In that, the accomplishment of his death brought forgiveness. It brought reconciliation with the Father. It defeated death. How did it defeat death? Because Jesus rose again. Because God's love was so powerful towards Christ, that Christ was raised from the dead into his eternal body. It was a demonstration not only of who Jesus was as the Son of God, but also that now through Christ each one of us can receive the gift of eternal life. If Jesus is alive, both you, your eternal security, your hopes, your shattered dreams, they can all live alive in him again today. New life is available for you. You might wonder today, why am I here? You're here to hear the gospel message that Jesus died on your behalf and that Jesus rose again and that his love is towards you. What are you going to do about it? Why resist the power of God who wants to move in your life? Because he loves you. There's a challenge of the cross. It demonstrates to us, it speaks to us. There's a humble recognition required on our behalf. God, I need you in my life. I want to give you an opportunity, quickly, for those of you who know you need God in your life, to raise your hand in just a moment. We're going to pray together, but the reason I'm asking you to raise your hand is to identify that you want to know Jesus in your life. I've got about three or four minutes left of this message because I want to just convey something to you very shortly. But let's pray. If you need Jesus, I want you to raise your hand at the end of this prayer. Father, we recognize that you are the creator of heaven and of earth. We stand in awe of your creation, the stars, the galaxies that you know by name. And we are in awe of the fact that you know us by name and you know the hairs on our head. And we ask, Father, that right now you'd speak to the hearts that don't yet know you, that you'd demonstrate your love, that you'd reveal your power, that you'd break hard hearts and reveal Christ in Jesus' name. If you need Jesus in your life, just put your hand up in the air. Thank you. Over here to the left. Any more of you? Need Jesus in your life. Thank you very much. Any more of you need Jesus in your life? Thank you. God wants to move in your life because he loves you. For all of you who've put your hands up, we've got someone who's going to come and stand with you and pray with you. But I just, two minutes more. I haven't seen a resurrection yet, personally. But I want to see a resurrection. I'm sure you guys do too. But you know why I'm certain that resurrection is possible? Jesus has done amazing things. Jesus right now has resurrected himself. But in our experience today, 
something that has brought so much faith to my heart, so much faith to my belief in the resurrection power of God is this. Is that many of you will know that there's a generation that's lost. That our generation, the generations of 18 to 40 are not in, in church. They're not worshipping God, especially not the men. And I've seen the power of God begin to transform men and young ladies as well in that generation, but men specifically. We need the men to start to rise up in who they are in God. And I want to read a passage to you. This just speaks to me so powerfully about what Jesus can do. Ezekiel 37 verse 1. Then the hand of the Lord came upon me. He brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. This is Death Valley right here. Imagine Ezekiel stood here and seeing a valley full of bones. Most inhospitable place in all of the earth. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And so I answered, O Lord, you know. Again he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you. Cover your skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you said, know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied now as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and a sudden rattling. And the bones began to come together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, they stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. And breath came into them. And the first word that they shouted out when they received that breath was this. Jesus! 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 These guys, to me, they represent the power of God to raise the dead. A lost generation, a generation that did not know God, a generation that was far from God. He has brought them together. These guys are the 300. There's many other men and women in cells here in this church who are doing amazing work for God. But they are being brought together, being stirred up, being knit together as a mighty army to demonstrate the resurrection power of Jesus through their lives. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as a church as Kensington Temple, Lord. And Lord, we thank you, Father, that your gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And at the core of that resurrection, uh, power is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask, Father, not to... To, to hold back in your power, but to release your power significantly, release your resurrection power through us, Lord, that we would see a revival in this generation, Lord Jesus. Lord, as we've seen just this number of men here, that they would become a multitude, and everyone else here would become a multitude for your glory as they begin to come to face-to-face uh, -to -face contact with the, earth, um, the resurrection power of the Lord. Lord, we pray, Father, stir something in us. Give us a revelation, Lord, of the heart that you have, of the power that you have, and the love that you have available for your lost creation. Lord Jesus, that we would see the sons of God raise up, Father, to bring a transformation to this city, to this nation, to this world, that will bring you much glory, Lord. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.
That's good to have all of these guys here and all of you with us. We hope that that challenged something in your mind. You might just think, oh, this is, the world is going on around me. But God is doing something. He's knitting things together, and he's intending to work through you for his glory. Amen? Now, we have Bruce over here at the front. He's going to be signing copies of his book, No More Law. Um, for those of you who need to get your book, if you're new to the church, come forward and say hi. We've got a welcome team here available for you. We'd love to meet with you, help you find your place. And do remember that Colin's message is available for you, series of messages is available for you on uh, Lifesavers. Bruce will be back at the 5 o'clock, and Roberts is here at the 7 o'clock tonight. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Be inspired and challenged in Jesus' name.